this week we're going to be talking uh, on the theme of change in our lives. And this is a, a buzzword or, a, if you will, a hot-button word because oftentimes whenever you use the word change, there will be people who get defensive and say, now look, we're talking about the Lord's church. There's things we're not supposed to change. And, that, and yet within the teachings of Christianity, change is one of the very reasons why God gave us the assembly and His Word. is because we need to change from a sinful life to an obedient life, a life that reflects the design God gave us, that is to reflect His glory, rather than to re- uh, reflect, if you will, the flesh. And yet there are many other things in the Scriptures that Bible says will never change. Jesus is immutable. He says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whenever you look at the word change as it's used in the scriptures, you're going to find the whole rainbow of things talked about whenever you use the word change. You're going to find things that never change, things that should never change, and things that must change, things that absolutely must change in order to be found well-pleasing to God. And so today, whenever we're talking about some of these concepts, We're going to introduce our thoughts this whole week. We're going to be talking about change. We want to introduce our thoughts by talking about change itself and how sometimes we don't change like we should. We're going to talk about how that there can come about change in our life and how we can bring about change, good change, positive change, change that is approved to God, and how we can honor the things that must never change in this life as well. First of all, whenever we talk about change, the verse that we used in your little flyer, Acts 17.30, the Bible says God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. The word repent is a synonym, if you will, for change. We don't often use the word repent outside of a religious context. When was the last time you went up to somebody and was talking about change and you go, you know, you need to repent, you know? We don't often use that, just in in our way we regularly use language. But the word repent means change. God is demanding that we change. And so whenever God commands all men everywhere to change, we have to ask, when, where, how, what, what is it? What do I need to change? What kind of change is God requiring of me in that passage? We really need to look at it. Well, let's look at some people in the scriptures that thought they had it sorted out and really didn't. If you'll turn to James, the first chapter, we find in James, the first chapter, he tells us in verse 19, (coughs) excuse me, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside... (laughs) Now see, here's some things that God requires. He says, listen, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. This isn't in keeping with God's principles for our life. And so he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in meekness or in humility, verse 21, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The word implanted, where? In our hearts and in our minds is able to bring about salvation. To our souls, but prove, verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now here's somebody who has a Bible or who hears the Bible and the change doesn't really come about in his life. It's, it's really, if you will, kept on the outside 
outside of their life. It may be on the outside. It may have a semblance. It may look like they are, are uh, changed people in some way. They may give verbal acknowledgement to Jesus. They may be like the Pharisees. Praise God with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. But God says, listen, I want more than that. I really want some do, somebody to do something not only on the outside, but from the inside as well. In other words, true change comes from the inside, from the heart, of, uh, from our hearts. And this is so important. Notice, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened unto a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. Now I'm reading from New American Standard. What manner of what kind of person is what the Greek is trying to get across to us here. The word of God reveals to us things that an outward mirror cannot show to us or cannot reveal to us. An outward mirror shows us how we appear to everyone else. The word shows us how we appear to God. We may outwardly look beautiful, but inwardly we may be dead. We may be ugly on the inside. And God says, listen, there are people who sometimes look at themselves, get a glimpse of how God sees them, but they go away and forget what kind of people that they are. Notice, verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having begun a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Evidently, this man reacts with the word of God. That is, he sees himself. He sees what kind of person he is inside the word. And something happens. He becomes a doer. Change happens in his life. He changes his behavior. He changes his relationships. He changes the way he, he acts and the way he feels. And the reason is not by being around a Bible. It's not being around religious people. It's seeing yourself in the Word and letting that Word change you in some way. Let's, let's, the outwardly we may appear beautiful, but inwardly we're not. Please turn, if you will, to the book of Revelation right quick or the apocalypse, however you want to call it. In Revelation, the third chapter, third chapter, if I can get my words out right, third chapter, starting with verse 14. Let's look at the church at Laodicea for just a moment. Now, here's a church that was dedicated to not changing. Notice what it says here. To the angel of church at Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were cold or hot. I wish you were. In other words, they were dispassionate about their behavior. They didn't have any emotion in what they did. They didn't care if they didn't. They were just dispassionate. Notice, he says, verse 16, So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You are distasteful to me. You don't serve God with passion. Oh, but you don't quit. You're just lukewarm. Notice. Verse 17, here's why they were lukewarm. Because you say. Now here the Holy Spirit is quoting, maybe not quoting verbatim somebody in the congregation, but he nailed their attitude. Notice the attitude this quote describes. He says, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now they weren't talking literally contextually here about their financial status in the community. He's talking religiously here. 
He's talking about people who think they're spiritually mature, wealthy, and rich. In other words, these people think they've got it made. They have it. They are spiritually rich. Notice what he says. And they have need of nothing. Do you not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? They were destitute. How they viewed themselves was starkly different to the way God viewed them. They should have been looking in that mirror because the physical mirror told them that they had it made. But the mirror of God's word revealed to them that they were poor and blind and naked, unclothed, unprepared to meet God. They were literally unprepared. I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I chasten. You know, God loves all of us here today. And I don't know where you're at. I know outwardly you may appear to be okay. Everything's fine. Even your home may be peaceful. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't have the ability to look into other people's hearts like Jesus and like God and see ourselves for what we really are. But you do. You know because you've looked into the mirror. You know what you've hidden from everybody else's sight. And we need to, like the church at Laodicea, sometimes look into our lives and see ourselves as God sees us. And then that gives us motivation. That gives us a reality of where to change in our lives. Outwardly, everybody may be accepting. Everybody may give us approval. But whether, without God's approval and without being presentable for God, that's nothing. That's just a mere facade. This church, this is a church here in Laodicea. Our brethren. This isn't talking about a denomination. This is talking about a congregation of our brethren. And he says, you think you've got it made. You're rich and increased with good, and you don't think you have need of anything. Don't you know you're poor and blind and naked? Look at yourself the way I look at you. You need some real changes. So today, within the church, we have all kinds of, and a whole spectrum of Christians here. Some of us don't have any problem with cussing and swearing. Some of us maybe do. Some of us may not have a problem with lust. Others do. Some of us may have a problem with theft. Others do. Some of us may have a problem with envy and hatred. Others may. But the point is, is regardless of how you appear to the eyes and to men, we need to understand it's how God views us that matters the most. It matters. It's the only thing that really matters. Because that's where, that's where, when that change really happens, that's where the authentic and the genuine comes from. It comes from within, inside. This theme is all the way through the scriptures, through the Old and New Testament. Let's look at some passages this morning. Believe it or not, at home, I I have a tendency to teach a long time, and I'm trying not to do that here today. But I do want to get the concept of, and I want you to come back all through the week, because we are going to be building on these sermons. We're going to be building one upon another, and I don't want you to miss one, because everyone is critical to the next step. Because change is so difficult in our lives. We are creatures of habit. God gave us habit for a good reason. Our brains are habitual for a good reason. Because whenever we learn to do good, then it becomes habitual. And that's, that's okay. Just having a habit isn't necessarily bad. 
but yet having a bad habit that seems to be impossible to break or things in our lives that are real struggles to change. I want you to know there is hope. There is real hope. And God would not ask us to do something that was impossible for us to do. Every single one of us have to change something. I hope you're not sitting there like the church at Laodicea and say, well, Glenn, everybody else does need to change, but not me. Then I would say, okay, you Laodicean. <laughs> you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Are you one of the few people here that don't even need to be here? Really? Well, how about that? That's the problem we're getting at here, folks. Have you changed much in the last 10 years? Has your marriage changed in the last 10 years? Have your friendships changed in the last 10 years? Have you gotten more holy in your life? Have you overcome some things in your life in the last 10 years? Or have you been, are you battling the same battles for the last 10 years? The last 10 years. It reminds me of a teacher one time. The teacher went to the principal and said, Principal, I want you to know, I think I deserve a raise. I have been here 20 years. 20 years! And I still have not gotten a raise. And the guy says, I have got 20 years experience. You've got 20 years? Do you have 20 years experience? And the lady says, yes, I've got 20 years experience. He goes, no, 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 no. You haven't got 20 years experience. You've had one year of experience 20 times. You've not really grown. <laughs> you know? And that's what happens sometimes as Christians. Sometimes we've not grown. We've been in the church 20 years, and we've still got one year experience. That's not, that's not what causes growth. That's not considered real growth just to have tenure. We've got to have real growth in our lives. We've got to really overcome some things. We've got to really change some things in our life. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, let's learn the lesson of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the, sometimes their example was written down, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 10, <coughs> for our uh, learning, so that we would stumble like some of them did. But let's look at a few passages, and let's see this principle all the way through the Old Testament as well. In 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, in verse 20, and we're going to have to really speed through some of these things. But in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 20, notice what uh, the king here is told in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Well, Glenn, what is the principle here in this, in this passage? Well, King Saul evidently was mistakenly thought that an act of external worship would make up for his failure to respect and obey the Word of God. In other words, he said, listen, as long as I check in, as long as I do what God told me to do, then the only thing that's important is the outside. Blessed be you and the Lord, Samuel, for I have done the will of the Lord. God says, no, you haven't. You haven't respected me at all. In fact, he goes ahead to reveal that his behavior was really insolence and worship of Satan in that passage. Saul mistakenly thought that if he just did the outside, he would be acceptable to God. But that wasn't the case. And like I said, we're going to have to speed through. There's a whole lesson there in that passage. But notice, if you will, in Psalms. If you have your Old Testament, in Psalms, the 50th chapter, an interesting passage, in verse 8. Psalms 50 and verse 8. Notice, well, that's verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. 
O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. God is about to reprove them for something. But notice what he doesn't reprove them for here first. Verse 8, I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. Well, they had that down. He said, listen, I'm not going to reprove you for what you're doing. You're doing it right on the outside. But he says, here's something wrong right here. There's something wrong right here. And I really want to get to that. I don't reprove you because of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. He goes on and do the whole passage. Now, just, uh, well, I don't have time to read it all, but let's go to verse 23. He who offers sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. He tells them he wanted their hearts thanksgiving toward God. They were bitter in their sacrifices to God. I'll give God, but I don't have to have my heart into it. God says, yes, you do. You're going to have to give me the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I want you to do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, that's what we're talking about here. There's no true change that's possible if only the externals are kept and not the, real, the reality, not the authentic of change within our hearts. Jesus spelled this out in probably one of the clearest passages in the New Testament. Please turn to Matthew, the 23rd, uh, 23rd chapter, and verse 23. In Matthew 23, verse 23, notice how clear he makes this upon this occasion. In Matthew 23 and verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now, what are mint and dill and cumin? Well, those are spices. Those are things that change the taste of food. And you know what? They were so into giving God a tenth of their income that whenever somebody bartered with them or they got this increase in some way, they would literally sit down and count out the dill for God. You know those little dill things? He would go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And they would tithe. Literally, they would give one-tenth of their spices to God. Now that takes, nobody could say this person was undevoted, would you? When somebody tithes spices, you've got to say, man, that person is serious about their religion. (laughs) They really are. But what happened? Notice, you do this. But he says, and you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done and not without neglecting the others. He wasn't saying what they were doing was wrong. He was just saying, you forgot the inside. You forgot to give me your heart. You forgot to change the inside. Notice, you blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Notice what he says in verse 25. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean. Now, I want you to know, whenever the Bible says first, it means first. Here's where the true source of change comes from. He says, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it might be clean also. Do you know what happens whenever you work on the inside of a cup or a dish? The outside gets cleaned. And so he says, I want you to clean the inside of the cup and the dish. And the outside will almost take care of itself automatically. That's what he wanted them to work at. Notice, so at the outside, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are whitewashed tombs, who on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
Here's the, here's the deal, guys. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, the Bible tells us for us to come together in the church. God has a purpose whenever we come together. It's not just to check in. It's not just to punch in socially with everybody else. God wants us here to exhort one another to love and good works. And that means change. God wants us to exhort one another to be better than we were the week before. We've got all kinds of people out in the world encouraging us to be worse. All the things on television. You want to be cool? Try to do something bad like you've never done it before. Try to be worse than you've ever been before. You know, some of the programs that they put on broadcast television, I'm not talking about cable. You guys know you've got to control your cable. But broadcast television has never been worse. One of the hits of this season is Desperate Housewives. Desperate. You know, I cannot find, just watching the trailers, I've not watched it, but just watching the, the advertisement of it, it's not something I think Jesus would say, you know, I've got to see that. I can't see Jesus going, ooh, why? Because it's all about the flesh, and it's all about sinning, and it's all about doing things that Christian. it's not going to help you be a better Christian. Well, all I'm saying here is we've got so much in this world advertising sin. How can we forsake the assembling of the church where here we're supposed to encourage one another to love, real love, and good works? That's what we're supposed to get here is the encouragement we need to bring about genuine, real, approved change of God. We're not coming here to praise ourselves. We're coming here to change our lives. That's what this is all about, to bring about real and authentic change. And my friends, if our religion doesn't bring about any real change in our lives, then it's worthless. Jesus tells us. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, he talks about the real things in our life. He says, not only is it just this taking care of the poor, and the widows, and the orphans. He said, that's real religion. Just giving sacrifices, isn't it? Doing, to bringing about change in our hearts and our minds. Being compassionate, being thoughtful. Being as compassionate about the sinful in this world as God is. God is patient, not willing that any should suffer. The existence of this very day continues to express the patience of God and the desire for them to be saved. Is that on our hearts and that in our minds? My friends, this is not a club where we come together to talk about how great we are and how different we are. We have got to put on the heart and the mind of Christ when we come here, it's to be reminded not of how great we are, but how great the change is that we need to bring about in our lives. We need to look into the Word and see the disparities, the discrepancies between the life of Christ and our life, between His heart and our heart, between His ambition and our ambition, between His life and our life, and make sure that discrepancy continues no longer. We are dedicated to being conformed to the image of his son. In the book of Romans, in Romans, the ninth chapter, in verse 29, the Bible says, For those whom he foreknow, he always predestined, all, uh, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That is our purpose. Now let's write that down. Notice, here is what we're supposed to be doing to become conformed conformed to the image 
Of who? Of his son. Now that's Christianity. To be conformed to the image of his son. To change our character and our behavior to where we act and feel like Jesus. Now, I don't mean act like Jesus, walk on water, do miracles, stuff like that. I'm talking about his character, his heart, his righteousness, his indignation at sin. That's the heart we're supposed to have. And so this is our aim. To become conformed to his image. To imitate his character. And if your religion isn't doing that, it's worthless. Because that is it. That's what we're being, being educated about. That's what we're both being taught about. That is the change that needs to happen. If there's any discrepancy between the way I behave and the way Christ behaved, that's where I work. That's where the work begins. Right there. That's it. And a religion that just pats you on the back and say, you are what you are and that's fine, is not Christianity. The Bible tells us we are disciples. Disciples. Did you know the word disciple is used some 300 times in the scriptures to talk about followers of Jesus Christ? I want everybody, if you will, to open up your Bibles and look at this next verse. Luke 6 and verse 40. Luke 6 and verse 40. Luke 6. Let's read verse 39, verse 40. And he spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now notice, the New American Standard reads a little bit differently, but the word disciple literally means a student or a learner. That's what it is. Thayer's Greek English lexicon. It means a student or a learner of someone else. We are Christians. Jesus is our teacher. We all are his students. We are his disciples. Notice what this passage teaches. Verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, everyone when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. My friends, that's where we're going. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of his son. We're supposed to be transformed, trained, trained as disciples, as pupils. To be like our teacher. And if you're not treating your wife like Jesus would treat his wife, if you're not treating your husband like Jesus would treat his husband or her husband, if you will, in a, wife, in a respectful way, <coughs> if we're not treating one another, if we're lying to one another, if we're doing all kinds of things to one another that is not Christ-like, then, my friends, our religion doesn't really have a purpose. It's not Christianity because Christianity is a religion where the pupils become like the teacher. That's what it's all about. We become conformed to the image of his son. The Bible continually warns us that our motives, whenever we transform our lives, or when we strive to transform our lives, conform our lives to the uh, image of his son, are very, very important. The motives, what is inside our hearts and in our minds. Let's look at some Old Testament passages that reinforce this principle as well. In Ecclesiastes, 
one of those poetical books of the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes. Notice chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. These people were going to the house of God. Now, he wasn't talking about people saying, you need to go to the house of God. These people were going. And notice what he says. And draw near and listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God's in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, what he's saying here is, you don't treat God like somebody you just talked to on the telephone. God is somebody to be respected and revered in your life. Whenever you come to offer sacrifice, don't offer him the sacrifice of a fool. Be respectful. My friends, you're not just hearing good self-help this morning from this pulpit. This isn't a place that's designed just to help your marriage, to help your relationship, or to help you be financially successful in this world. What we're doing is getting prepared to meet God. This isn't just a self-help place. This is a place where dynamic change is necessary in order to be presentable before God in the day of judgment. And so we don't come up and offer the sacrifice of fools. We are to draw near and listen. These are the important attitudes whenever we come and hear the word of God. We don't hear it as the words of men. That is, we can accept it or, or neglect it. We need to hear it as the words, the oracles, the utterances of God. In Isaiah 1, verse 10 through 17, there are so many verses. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you, he says. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. God was rejecting their external acts of worship because the individuals were still wicked on the inside. He told them to stop doing evil, chapter 1 and verse 17. Learn to do good. <coughs> For, uh, Isaiah, verse one, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus clean the inside of the cup, doesn't it? Notice in Hosea 6, and verse 4 through 6, your loyalty is like the morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Your loyalty is not there. You're not devoted in heart. My friends, God just doesn't want outward change for a moment. He wants lasting change for a lifetime. He doesn't just want to change our attitudes for a moment. Yeah, I know I need to do better. And then go away and forget what kind of people we are. He wants us to really change our lives. Motive is so critical. Notice in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. God tells us we should not neglect certain things, just like in Matthew and without, we should add these things without neglecting other things. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse 1 through 3, Paul uses a classic illustration of authentic Christianity whenever he says, Yea, though I give my body to be burnt and have not charity, it profits me nothing. He says here, motive does matter. What happens on the outside matters. Oh, yes, you need to be obedient. But you can even give. In 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, he tells us about the giving, the taking up of our collection. And he says, some of you think that it's by extortion. Some of you give grudgingly. He says, don't give grudgingly. Or believing it's a necessity. 
That means it's imposed upon you from the outside. But he says, give of a cheerful heart. This is what makes that acceptable sacrifice. Not grudgingly, but of a cheerful heart. Change happens from the inside out. We cannot be a disciple of Christ even though we outwardly get the habits down if our heart is far away from God. We are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus' heart was to do the will of his Father which is in heaven. And it should be our heart as well. Both things are necessary to please God. Yes, you have to do the outside right. Don't neglect it. But you have to have the inside right too. Now, two last points and then we'll try to get Wrap it up this morning, believe it or not. I'm really going to try. Notice. God desires more than just well-organized, self-disciplined, responsible, good citizens. Listen very carefully. The Pharisees were all of the above. The Pharisees had that part down. They were extremely self-disciplined, Luke 18, 11 through 12, Mark 7, 3 and 4. They were well-organized, Matthew 23 and 23. Don't you? The time and effort that it took to tithe herb, herbs, I knew I was going to mispronounce that, herbs in the garden, the time it took, took some dedication. Their life was organized, but their heart was far away from God. They didn't have the proper motive, which leads me to one last point here. Listen very carefully. Doing good doesn't automatically make you good. Doesn't make you good. Doing good doesn't make you good. Many people in this world believe that, but that's not the case. Doing good doesn't make you good. Once again, the Pharisees were involved in many religious activities. They gave alms to the poor. They remained selfless, or, or, but yet they remained, excuse me, selfish men. They tried to do a whole lot of religious things on the outside, but they never really changed the inside. Jesus said to them, clean the inside of the cup first, Matthew 23 and verse 26. Don't make the same mistake that the Pharisees made. There are many important things that fall on the outside of the cup. We could talk a lot about all those things. But when we get down to the motives of our heart, that's where real change begins, and it is there where God focuses his greatest rebuke whenever he says, repent. That goes right back to Acts 17.30. God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. The word repent talks about a change of heart. A change of heart. There are many of us here today who aren't really Christians. We're just good people with good habits. You ever thought about that? We're good citizens but we're not really ready and prepared to meet God because superficial change is often easier than real change. A change of behavior oftentimes we can make without changing our heart. It's harder to change the heart. It's harder to change the heart. Superficial external change tends to lull us into thinking we have really changed when in reality all we've done is develop some new habits but the heart remains the same old dead heart that was always there. We've got to bring about real change. Oftentimes it's easy to, to get to a point when we think we've done enough. Whenever we're doing good and somebody expects more of us, it becomes a chafe. 
We don't look at it as an opportunity to do greater service for God. In fact, we say, aren't I doing enough? And that's a sign. That's a sign right there that our heart isn't totally sacrificed. Give God all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where the real test is whenever we begin to chafe against God's changes that he brings about on the outside. <coughs> a little change on the outside of our relationships and friends and co-workers and bosses and brothers and neighbors and family and wife can be fairly comfortable. It can bring about a comfortable relationship. But that doesn't mean we love any of them. <laughs> doesn't mean we have a heart for them at all. We may make the, think, the mistake of thinking if we have enough to eat, a comfortable home, a nice car, our marriage is in pretty good shape, everything's right with God. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know such is not always the case. Are you content to do good? We've illustrated the soil, my friends. You can't get stuff to grow out of soil that's bad. If you're going to bring about change, we have to add some stuff to the soil. You want to bring about change, you've got to recognize right here is where everything grows. That's the soil from which genuine change really grows. It's your heart. Out of the heart proceeds evil, adultery, all these other things. And out of the heart proceeds obedience and all these other things as well. There's the soil. I want to ask you, how's the soil this morning? How's your heart? Guess what? I can't read minds. You can't read mine. I can't read yours. I don't know if you're a hypocrite. You don't know if I'm a hypocrite. Oh, maybe we hide it real good on the outside, but guess, guess what? That doesn't mean anything. God knows your heart, and God knows my heart. So I want you to make one small look. I'm not asking you to compare yourself to anybody. Do not compare yourself to the person sitting next to you. Their soil is different than your soil. Their soil may be good and honest. Their soil may be rocky. I don't care if there's other people in church you can point to and say, they're hypocrites. I know they're hypocrites. It doesn't matter. We're not asking about everybody else's soil this morning. I'm asking you to look at your soil. Look at your heart. Perhaps the reason why there's no fruit is because that soil needs to be plowed. Perhaps that soil needs some nourishment, some fertilizer. Perhaps that soil needs to be dug up and, and once again brought some activity, get some oxygen into it, get some, get some stuff, some change. Yeah, because, my friends, when that soil changes, then the seed responds differently. Luke 8 and 11, the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. The problem with bringing about change in our lives is not change the word. It'll never change. We're going to talk about that later on. The problem isn't with the Bible. The problem with bearing fruit for God is our soil. The soil of our hearts before God. So come back this week. Come back. Tomorrow night we're planning on talking about envy. We're going to talk about hatred. We're going to talk about all kinds of things this week. Things that make us uncomfortable to talk about. We're going to talk about how that changing our attitudes will change the entire direction of our lives for God. We're going to talk about the image of Christ, how to conform, how to bring about change. We're going to talk about how to fertilize, how to plow our hearts. Because, my friends, what we do not want, I do not want 
I do not want to waste my time or yours preaching this week and going away and having no change in your or my life. That is a waste of time. And there's nothing that irritates anybody than having to go to all the church and nothing changes. <laughs> we don't want that. You want your life to be different? You want to be really grow? You want to be, have a real change? You want to really change some things in your life? Come back this week. We'll talk about how God empowers change. How we can bring about change. The Bible does address it. How to change it. How to change our lives. But come back this week. We'll talk more about those things. But this will suffice as an introduction to this week. Let's suffice it to say that God wants us, yea, demands of us, that change happens. If there was no need for us to change, why would God ever say, I want all men everywhere to repent? If God just says, hey, listen, all I want you to do is just trust Jesus, and you can stay the way you are. You can stay the way you are. All you've got to do is just add Jesus and you're saved and that's all that Christianity is about. My friends, that is not what Christianity is all about. Because accepting Jesus as our Savior means accepting Him as our Lord as well. You can't have Him as Savior without Him being Lord. And you cannot acknowledge Him as Lord without submitting to Him, submitting changes to Him. So, we must change our lives. Acts 17, 30, God is commanding. Ignorance of God was winked at, now is commanding all of us, everywhere, to repent. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. We'll be like his teacher. So today, perhaps you've come here and you're aware of what changes you need to make in your life. Perhaps you're aware that in your faith you must repent of your sins or you will perish, Acts 17 and verse 30. Luke 13, 3. Luke 13, 5. Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Perhaps you don't want the consequences of your sins to be visited upon you and you want to get forgiveness for those things. You can be united with Him in the likeness of His death and His burial and His resurrection, Romans 6, verse 3 through 5, and then walk in newness of life. You can get forgiveness for your past sins, Acts 2.38, if you will change your behavior. My friends, baptism without repentance won't save. If, you, if you're baptized without repentance, a lot of people think the problem is baptism. My friends, the problem with Christianity isn't baptism. The problem with Christianity is repentance. Repentance is where we have to make up our mind that we want God to be God. And that's why we need to repent of our sins. That's the toughest thing because we have to make a commitment to change whenever we learn better. So this morning, are you willing to give up your life to let God have control of it? Repent of your sins? If you do, then upon your confession, Matthew 10, verse 32, you're a fit subject for baptism. That's right. Without repentance, you're not a fit subject for baptism. But that commitment to say, Lord, I will not want, I'm not going to do what I want to do anymore. I'm going to become your disciple. I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to become a follower of God. I will, I, I'm not going to claim that I know everything now. I'm going to be as a child. I'm going to grow in the things I need to grow in knowledge and, and, and grow in behavior. But I will refuse to go away for any more 
and look into the word and see where I need to change and then say it doesn't matter anymore. Today I'm going to make up my mind. I am going to care about what the word of God says I need to change in my life. If you're willing to, in your faith, repent of your sins, then why don't you come? Confess Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.